Hey, come on, Go Church family. How you feel today? Feel good? Come on. You guys doing okay back here? Everybody good? Love all of you. Man, what a great day. Look around this room. A, a full house, a full gathering on the south side of Atlanta. Our prayer every week is that God fills this house with his people, with his presence, with his power. I believe he's doing that here. Also at our West Side Atlanta campus, Montgomery County, Maryland campus, even those watching online today, whatever campus you're a part of, we just say, welcome home, welcome to the family of God here. We also give honor every Sunday to the brave men and women serving in the military and all of those courageous first responders. So can we clap for the family of God and also give honor to those brave men and women serving? Come on, let's go. I think you can do a little bit better. Come on, a little bit better. I got a, I got a word that I want to share with you today. Uh, right before we jump into that, just one quick save the date. You've heard us uh, give you this information the last few weeks, but 2024 Vision Sunday is next Sunday, all right? Next Sunday. And a couple of things about Vision Sunday. Uh, we always do an annual Vision Sunday at the beginning of the year. We give you fresh vision for this house. We give you fresh vision for your life. Anybody need some vision for your life? Come on, some purpose and direction. We'll give you a lot of information about what God is doing at Go Church, but we also pray you leave with great inspiration as well. So next Sunday, here's a couple of announcements that I'm gonna make. The first one will be, I'll tell you the grand total of the legacy offering that you gave in December. Come on, anybody excited about that? So I'll share with you the total amount of how much money you gave during what we call our legacy offering. And then also as a part of Vision Sunday, I'm gonna make one of the biggest announcements we've ever made on a Vision Sunday before. So it's a can't miss Sunday. I hope that you're able and willing to be here in person. Uh, put it on your calendar, save the date. It's gonna be a great day. You glad to be a part of a life-giving church? Let me get a good amen right there. Come on, a lot of good stuff. So many good things. Also, I, I pray that you've enjoyed this series called I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. We've been journeying now. This is our fourth Sunday and our final message in this series of conversations. Really what I believe, while it's the title of the series, I hope that it becomes uh, the testimony of your story. That in every area, we can talk about how before Christ we were broke, but with Christ, he puts us back together. And that's what the whole series has been about, whether we've been talking about uh, spiritual brokenness, emotional brokenness. Last Sunday was financial brokenness. Today we're going to talk about relationships, really heavy into relationships. But the whole driving thought behind the series is God can take broken things and put them back together. Can I get 50 people to testify to that? Like that's your story. God can take broken things and in his sovereignty and in his grace, he can put them back together. Why? Because he is faithful. He is good, he is sovereign, he's a transformational God. 
Now that doesn't mean that God changes. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But God can change your situation. And our prayer in 2024, and as a part of this series, is that you really learn about God's ability to take these broken things, these broken areas in your life, put them back together so you can have a great testimony of God's faithfulness, all right? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll talk a lot about family today. I'll share more of that in just a moment. But I wanna make sure that we give the Lord just uh, our undivided attention. So eyes closed, heads bowed at every campus. I like to give you about 10 seconds to concentrate your thoughts, invite the Holy Spirit into this message and into your heart. Ask him to remove distraction and to speak right to you. About 10 seconds and then I'll come and offer just a, a simple but powerful prayer. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. All right, here's my prayer. It's Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, God, would you anoint me today and anoint those listening. May the cross of Jesus go before me and may you get the glory and the honor and may you restore broken things. Everything that the enemy has stolen, we believe you can put them back together. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen and amen. How about five seconds here? Let's bless the Lord together. Come on. You know, anytime we, uh, we talk about family, and, and over the last few years, we've talked about family a lot here at Go Church. But anytime I bring a message or a series on family, truthfully, it's, it's challenging. And one of the great challenges of a sermon or series on family is the unique dynamic experiences that every single one of you have. So depending on uh, what campus you're at or what row you're sitting on, uh, some of you, you're with family and others of you, you're, you're sitting near strangers or people that you've met for the first time. But every single human being has a different experience with, with family. So whenever we talk about words like mom, dad, brother, sister, grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, etc., those are not emotionally neutral words. Meaning, when you hear mom or dad, that doesn't sound or feel the same way to somebody as it might to you. Because our upbringing, our experiences, our joys, our hurts, they're different. Does that make sense? So whenever we talk about family, it's, it's, you gotta speak a, a little bit in generalizations because no, nobody, even people within the same family has the same family experience. Isn't that interesting? Some of you have, have siblings and, and your siblings' perspective of their childhood and upbringing can be almost universally different than yours. So again, because family is not emotionally neutral. So today, I'll, I'll try my best not to speak in generalizations, but I do think that for those of you that are on this faith walk with the Lord, you're on this journey with Christ, there is one statement that we can all agree on. Families become broken when we build them incorrectly. At any time, and, and many of you may be experiencing this right here today, that your family, there's a lot of tension, a lot of conflict, a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, a lot of back and forth, a lot of gossip, a lot of he said, she said, 
the temperature is hot right now. All of that is simply because we have built our family incorrectly. I wanna make a statement here and I believe that you'll understand the heart behind what I'm about to say because this is scripture and I'll show it to you in just a moment. But the enemy is after your house. The enemy is after your marriage. The enemy is after your children. The enemy is after your grandchildren. The enemy is after every important relationship in your life. Why does the enemy attack the home so much? You can go all the way back to Genesis in the very beginning. We see that the enemy came against the first family. You think your family has issues? Look at the first family, all right? Why? Because the enemy knows that if he can hit you where it hurts the most and rob you of those beautiful relationships that God intended for you to belong to. So you chose a lot of things in your life, but you didn't choose your family. God gave you your family on purpose and for purpose, so the enemy is after your house. Uh, a couple of verses here, and, and as I read these to you, I want you to imagine family uh, with the image of a home, like an actual home. So maybe that's your childhood home. Maybe it's the current house you live in. Maybe it's your dream house. Anybody got a dream house one day? Okay, so, but I want you to picture family as a house or a home because the Bible often uses that as an illustration when talking about, about the family structure. Solomon said in Proverbs 24, again, he's using uh, the house to talk about, about family. He says, through wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge. So right here, we see that in order to have a, a, a Christ-centered, God-focused home, you need wisdom, you need knowledge. Both of that comes from the Holy Spirit. And when you have that, then look at the rooms in the house. Those rooms are filled, and this is my prayer for you, with everything that is precious and pleasant. And I think for a lot of people, and again, a little bit of a generalization here, for a lot of people, your family, your home is not precious. It is not pleasant because the enemy is after it. Jesus said in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 7, rather, this is his Sermon on the Mount, and it's towards the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. He begins to teach about the importance of you building not only your life on Jesus Christ, but your family and your home on Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And in a moment, you'll see he talks about a, a wise builder and a foolish builder. And what he's suggesting is, is that the greatest difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder is not knowledge and ignorance, it's obedience and disobedience. He says, because all of you, you know these words, will you be wise and put them into practice? And if you do, you'll be like the wise man who built his house on the rock, that is not Dwayne Johnson, come on somebody, and you'll laugh at lunch, I promise you that. The rain came down, the waters rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the, the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and they choose not to put them into practice is like a foolish man. He doesn't build his house on the rock, he builds his house on sand. And the rain's still gonna come. And the stream's still gonna rose. Come on now. The winds will still blow, beat against that house, but it will fall with a great crash. Because it matters how you build your home. One more uh, scripture reference here. Jesus again in Matthew 12. Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, 
highlight this in your Bible if you can, but every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Let me pause right there. And you can go back over the history of time, look at every great nation, look at every great empire. They, they, they self-destructed. They imploded from the inside out. Ladies and gentlemen, tell me that is not what's happening to America. We are fighting from the inside out. And look, we are in a, a, a political season. Uh, we're months away from all of those amazing ads on our television. I know you are as excited about that as I am. Uh, beat me with a baseball bat. But if we continue to fight against each other, America will fall. We will fall. Not only because we've seen that historically, but we see that scripturally and prophetically. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. We are the United States of America. But quickly, within the last 10, 11, 12 years, we have seen a rapid change in our unity and we have now become, now become the divided states of America. And watch this. And he goes on to say, not only a kingdom and nation will be ruined, but every city, every household, even your home, divided against itself, will not stand. This is why the enemy is attacking your family. Because if he can attack your family and get you to fight against each other, the foundation of your home will crumble. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why Paul told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 6. Now, right before I tell you what he said in Ephesians 6, if you read Ephesians 5, he lays out the structure of the home, the structure of the family, that, that the husband should be the head of the house, not because they're the, the man of the house, but because they should be men of God, that wives should be supportive and submissive to the husband. It doesn't mean that you don't have a role to play. It means that God has ordained for the man to lead the family spiritually. It says that children should obey their parents. And then it says, and dads, stop being so obnoxious to your kids. Kind of that way. Right? Now, right after Ephesians 5, you go to Ephesians 6, and what does Paul say? He just talks about the family, and then he says, now, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our fight is not against each other. The battle is not against husbands and wives and dads and, and sons and, and daughters and mothers and in-laws and outlaws. Come on now. We don't wrestle against each other, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. At the end of the day, what's happening in your family, perhaps you've built it on the wrong foundation, but it is spiritual warfare. And the enemy is seeking whom he may devour. Now, let me give you one more verse here. It's not on the screen, but I pray that those in the faith would respond with a good amen. You ready for the good news? We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Come on. And no matter what the dynamic of your family is right now, God is able to put that family back together and to turn the whole thing around. Let me get 50 people to help me preach. All right. Now, this is gonna surprise you. But I am not an architect. I am not a general contractor. I am not in construction. As a matter of fact, if you've got a, a, a project that you need to accomplish, I'm the very last person that you need to call. 
Anytime Kimberly, my wife, has a new picture that she bought from Hobby Lobby to, <laughs> to hang in our house, you know what this man of God, this true pastor from the Lord does? I call my mother-in-law and ask her to come over and to hang the picture. Uh, if you need help in your building project, call me if you need demolition because I can tear anything up. Where are you at? Let me talk to those people for them. I can tear it up, but I can't build it up. You know, I mean, I can't, I can't do any of it. But I, I had this image, this visual of a house, and I'm gonna show it to you. And I'll talk about the four parts of this just really quickly. Now, full disclosure, um, this is a lot of what I use in, in like premarital counseling, although we, we have the Ministry of Life back that does a lot of our premarital counseling now, but even in like weddings that I officiate, I, I use a lot of this language here. Uh, now, the bride and groom, they're not listening to me. They got one thing on the mind, let me kiss the bride. But I hope they go back and watch the video or at least remember some of the importance of what I said as a part of their wedding ceremony. So again, the image of your house, your home, and it starts with a firm foundation because any, any structure that is going to withstand a time, trials, inclement weather, shifting of, of the ground, et cetera, and, 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 you've gotta have a firm foundation. In your, in your home, which is your life and your family, You've got to build your house on God. In the Greek, the word home literally means shrines to the gods. But that will not be the case for you. Because, let me preach for about five seconds. But because you are in a personal and growing relationship with Jesus Christ, your home will not be an idle place of worship, a shrine to the lowercase g gods. It will be a house that honors and worships the one true living God. Come on, can you say amen to that? But you gotta have a foundation. You are not the foundation. Your wealth is not the foundation. Your, your, your intelligence is not the foundation. God has to be the foundation. Then you have to get the footings. Now this is commitment. You have to have two parts of commitment. You have to have a commitment to God, but you also have to have a commitment to each other. Now again, I don't know what I don't know, but I called my good friend Nathan Dockery just yesterday and said, explain to me just a little bit of the difference between the foundations and the footings. So here's what I learned. That anytime you are building a structure, they will typically simultaneously lay the foundation and the footings. They call this a monolithic pour. Because mono means one. So what happens is, is that the rebar that's in the footings is connected to the rebar in the foundation. Then they will encase all of that in concrete to give it superior strength. And ladies and gentlemen, this is exactly what you need. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need God's strength, but you need an unwavering commitment to the Lord and to your family. Look, in my house, Kimberly and I, this year will be 20 years that we've been married. Come on, 20 years. Some of y'all are like, man, she stayed with you that long? She did, father-in-law, she did. But in our family, we never even use the word divorce. That's not an idle threat. My kids never have to worry if mom's coming home or if dad's coming home because they know that we took a vow, a covenant before God and those witnesses until death do us 
part. And there was three times I thought she wanted to kill me. Come on now. But I ain't going anywhere. I am committed. Then you got the walls of communication and most marriages and most families. In my experience, they don't end because of the major blow-ups. Most relationships end because of the slow leaks. Someone is unwilling to communicate their feelings, their emotions, their frustrations, or their fears. And watch this. Any relationship, fill in the blank, any relationship that you're in will only grow to the level that you're willing to communicate. And whatever that is, whatever that thing is that you don't wanna talk about because it's uncomfortable or you don't know how they'll respond, that's as far as that relationship will ever grow. But the moment that you say, you know what, there's something that I wanna talk about and it may be difficult for you or for them, immediately now you've opened the opportunity for God to take that relationship, whatever it is, to another level. Can I get an amen right there? And then you've gotta cover the whole house now, I don't know how you say it. Is it roof or roof? Yeah, that's, that's wrong. But anyway, with reconciliation, what is that? It's grace. It's mercy. It involves forgiveness, unwavering love. Now, each one of these is a message. Now, that's a whole series. We'll come back to that at a later time. Today, though, as we talk about God putting broken things back together, let's sit on reconciliation. So here's a working definition. Reconciliation is the restoration. And again, if you look at whatever that image of the home is, people restore homes. I mean, Chip and Joanna Gaines, they got filthy rich off restoring homes. God can restore your house, right? So reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship to a state of harmony after there's been a disagreement. If you're still taking notes, write this down. It's not on the screen. But it's bringing the accord to the discord. It's inviting harmony into that relationship after there's been a dispute. And look, when you go through the Bible, there are a lot of families with a lot of drama. There's a lot of biblical families with a lot of challenges. I could have used a variety of examples. But during the 21 days of prayer and fasting, I think it was day 11 or 12, um, I was, and I try to do this every year, reading the Bible chronologically, but I got to Genesis chapter 27. Again, this was during the fast, and I was just reading through the Bible, and I came across the story of Esau and Jacob, and immediately I pivoted from what I was originally, the story I was really going to use, to the story of Esau and Jacob. Now there, ladies and gentlemen, there is a lot about Esau and Jacob, but in order to really tell the story of how God reconciles this brotherhood, because they are brothers. I want you to focus in specifically on Genesis chapter 27 to Genesis chapter 33. There is a ton that happens here. So maybe today or this week you could take 15 minutes and you could read each of these chapters in total to really get the full details and the context and the whole story. Now I'm just gonna bullet point summarize what happens between Genesis 27 and Genesis 23. So, Isaac is the father to Esau and Jacob. Isaac's father is Abraham. That means that Abraham is Esau and Jacob's grandpa. You would think that with a daddy like Isaac and a granddaddy like Abraham, you'd have this thing figured out. But these boys, 
they were something. Now they're twin boys. Esau was born first, and this is important. The Bible says that Jacob, as Esau was being born, grabs hold of his heel because the name Jacob means trickster or deceiver. And so now these boys are born. There's all kinds of stuff that you can read about in Genesis about them. But when Isaac is close to passing, he's literally on his deathbed. He's uh, hard of hearing, legally blind. He knows his days are numbered. uh, Jacob, or Isaac rather, makes a decision to give a blessing to Esau. So Isaac knows, my time is coming up. He calls Esau into the room and he's going to give him a blessing. Now you and I, we bless a lot of things for a lot of reasons. A biblical blessing was like a mandate from God, typically on the the older sibling. So this was whenever, whenever the father was going to bless the oldest child, which was Esau, it meant that you are being promoted to a place of honor and status. So Isaac calls Esau in the room. He says, go catch some wild game, prepare a dinner, because I'm going to give you this patriarchal blessing. Well, listening in the other room is mama. It's Rebecca. And let me just pause right here to tell you that one of the greatest challenges with your family dynamic is you've got too many voices speaking into the issue. You got mama, grandmama, mama-in-law, Facebook friends, Instagram followers. You got co- you just letting everybody in. The Bible says if you've got aught with a brother or sister, you go to them. Because when you start letting all of these voices, and I'm not saying keep mama out unless your mama is drama. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Look at somebody say, he better not talk about my mama. How many of you know that when it comes to family, you can talk about your family, but nobody else can talk about your family? So Rebecca gets involved. She doesn't want Esau to get the blessing from Isaac. So she pulls Jacob to the side and she says, hey, I got a, I got a plan. Uh, you go get the meal, I'll cook it. He'll think it's the meal that Esau made. Um, you go in, sneak in, he can't see, he can't hear. You know, hospice says he's only got a couple days. So you, you pretend to be your brother and then he'll bless you. Jacob says, but you know, one of the challenges is Esau is a hairy man, I'm not a hairy man. So she goes and kills animals, takes their skin, patches it over. Do you see this? Patches hair on them and she says, now just go in there and trick your father, deceive your brother so that you can get the blessing. If you're with me, say, I'm still with you. So this happens. Jacob goes in, he pretends to be Esau. Isaac is deceived, he's fooled and he gives Jacob the blessing. Now you can only imagine that when Esau returns from hunting, he finds out that daddy had given away that family blessing, how angry and mad he was. Genesis 27, verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing that his father had given him. And this is what Esau said. The days of mourning for my father are near. Daddy's about to die. And when he dies, I will kill my brother. That's how angry I am. I'll kill my brother. Well, guess who's listening? Oh, Rebecca. And Rebecca says, hey, to Jacob, because she doesn't want Esau to kill Jacob. So she says, this is what you need to do. Esau's planning to avenge himself by killing you. 
So I need you to run, flee. I need you to run, go to my brother Laban, stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. Now hang in there with me real quick and I'll give you some practical takeaways here. From Genesis 27 verse 44 to the next verse that I'm about to read to you in Genesis 33 verse four, 20 years passes, 20 years. 20 years of bitterness, resentment, anger, and fear. And let me just take some authority here and speak to somebody and tell you, don't you give the devil one more day of robbing you of your family, the joy of family, the hope that is found in family. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. You're right. I don't know. I probably couldn't even imagine if you begin to tell me how much hurt and pain you really have. But I do know this, that no matter what they did or no matter what you thought they did or did not do, God is more powerful than that pain. God is more powerful than that problem. And God is able to take those broken things and put them back together. Can I get an amen from somebody? Come on. God is able. Don't. Don't let the enemy have one more day. He doesn't, he doesn't get another Thanksgiving. The devil doesn't get another Christmas. You, you don't have to miss another birthday. That there are steps to reconciliation that we learn from Jacob and Esau, and I'll show it to you. But 20 years, 20 years, one's running because he doesn't know what his brother is going to do when they see each other again. Now watch verse four of Genesis 33, 20 years later, all right? In chapter 32, Jacob is preparing to go and see Esau, and uh, he has no idea what the outcome is gonna be. As a matter of fact, you can read about it. I really want you to take time and read the story, because it's, it's an unbelievable like movie. Jacob's going to see Esau, it's been 20 years, he has no idea what's gonna happen. So he literally, the Bible says, puts his family in pecking order. Because he's like, well, if he's gonna kill us, at least let him kill the kids that I don't like the most. <laughs> and some of you parents, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> My kids always ask, do you have a favorite? I'm like, yep. They're like, which one? And it's whoever's standing in front of me at that time. Can I get a name in parents? I'm like, don't tell, but you're the favorite. But Jacob puts the children and the family in pecking order. Can you imagine that first kid? He's like, <laughs> I got picked first. Jacob's like, yes, you did. Go on and see your uncle real quick. Verse four, Genesis 33. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. I don't want you to overlook this word, but or instead or however, because this means, whenever I read this in the Bible, this means that God got involved, that the Holy Spirit got involved, that we had this thought, we had this fear, we had this worry, we had this pain, but God, God got involved. And Esau ran to meet Jacob, he embraced him, he threw his arms around his brother, he didn't wring his neck, he hugged his neck. He kissed him and they wept. Now let me show you this, what the Lord showed me. How can a relationship 
between two brothers go from deception and trickery and lying and stealing to avenging that through the desire of murder and death be reconciled? Only God. Only God. And I just tell you right now that no matter what it is you're walking through, God can do the same for you. All right, so when I read this during uh, Deeper 21, uh, the, the, the season of prayer and fasting, I just, in my journal, you just soap. And you've heard us teach that uh, method of Bible studying, soap, S-O-A-P. I wrote down the scripture, the observation, the application, and the prayer. Here's five things that I, I believe, and I'll call them steps to reconciliation for your family or for your relationships. Maybe there's more steps. God can do less steps. He's God all by himself. But here's at least five things that I wanna encourage you with and challenge you with. You ready? If you're ready, Sam, ready. All right, write these down or take pictures. The first one is this. Reconciliation with others begins first with God. Starts with God. And it starts with you and God. Let me say it to you like this. Before you can have reconciliation with someone else, you first have to be reconciled with God. Before you can have peace with anybody, you have to be at peace with Jesus. So reconciliation with others first begins with God. And watch right here in, in Genesis 32. The angels of God, they go and they meet Jacob. There's a ton to unpack there, but for time's sake, I wonder, I would love to know what the full details of that conversation was. Like, what all did the angel say? We only get the highlights, not the details. But whatever the angel said to Jacob brought him to a place of conviction, brought him to a place of repentance. Uh, here's two words. I'll come back to one of them in a moment. Brought Jacob to a place of, of vulnerability and humility. And he knew, all right, God, I'm in the wrong. I've messed up. So Jacob begins to wrestle and God begins to work on Jacob's heart. And when God works on Jacob's heart, all of a sudden there is a conviction to reconcile with his long lost brother. Now at Go Church, we always say our vision is to love anyone from anywhere into a personal and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me give you a warning about that. You better be careful when you get into a personal and growing relationship with Jesus. Because here's what I've learned. The closer I get to Jesus, the more convictions I have. Man, when I was far from God, I wasn't convicted about hardly anything. But the closer I get to Jesus, the closer my desires align with his desires, the closer my will aligns with his will, the greater empathy, compassion, conviction I have, and now all of a sudden, God will, God will bring up relationships that I need to reconcile through the Holy Spirit simply because I've gotten close to him. So let me say it to you like this. This is how God works. God, when you get close to God, God will begin to deal with the condition of your heart first and make peace with him before you can make peace with anybody else. Here's the principle, and I'll give you a principle for each of these. God desires for you to experience reconciliation with others. 
It's in that uh, little bumper video before I come out and preach. John 10, 10. The thief comes to still kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and have it to the full. God never intended for your relationships, your marriage, your children, your home, your friendships to be broken. Brokenness doesn't come from God. Brokenness comes from Satan, from the enemy. God is a God who reconciles and restores, and he desires for you to experience reconciliation. Let's take five seconds and get a good amen right there, all right? All right, so it, it, it begins first with God. The, God will meet you. God will get your attention. He'll convict your heart and begin the process of reconciliation. Secondly, is that reconciliation must always be intentional. And I want you to see here what, what Jacob did because he was intentional about setting up the meet and greet. He didn't just want to show up, so he was intentional. He sent some messages. Oh, good brother, how art thou today? I don't know why I'm talking like that. It felt good in the moment. Roll with me. He says, I'm sending this message to my Lord. I'll get out of the accent. You're not with me. Tough crowd. Lowercase l, because he's not calling him God or, or Lord. He's, he's showing a sign of submissiveness, a, a sign of respect to the eldest brother but he sends these messages ahead because he's taking initiative. Uh, let me give you this. Um, this might be a silly analogy, and before I tell you what it is, I'm not speaking this over anybody. I don't want anybody to be hurt, anybody to break an arm. But if you, if you, if you had a broken arm, right, you hurt your arm, you know your arm is hurt. You know who doesn't know your arm is hurt? The doctor. The doctor has no idea that you did what you did to have a hurt arm. However, when you take initiative and you go see the doctor and tell the doctor, now all of a sudden you've initiated a, a healing process. Now you may not like what the doctor says about the path to healing. They may have to set the arm, do surgery on the arm, put a splint on the arm or a cast on the arm, but you've taken initiative to tell somebody that can help you, I'm hurting. And I don't know why we're so adamant about our physical health, but we refuse to apply that same principle to our relational health. So I hear people say this all the time. Well, you know, time heals all wounds. Does it? Well, two thoughts. Number one, Jesus is the only one that can heal all wounds. Okay, three of you are with me. Thank you so much for being here today. Jesus is the only one that can heal all wounds. And secondly, you know what I've learned? Time can actually be more harmful and hurtful than healing. So, so you gotta take initiative. And that's what Jacob did. And here's the principle. Taking initiative is imperative in reconciliation. So what steps do you need to take? Not what steps they, well, it's their fault. Probably. Maybe. But as long as you play that game and you refuse to take initiative, there will always be division. There will always be separation. And a house divided against itself, it won't stand. Let me say it to you like this. 
you don't accidentally get healed. You take initiative. So maybe for you, in a practical sense, it looks like texting the person. I know it's been a while. You open for a cup of coffee. Firing off an email to express your desire to just talk. Sitting down, writing a letter. Let me talk to the guys for a minute. Your wife has been saying we need counseling. I'm not, I'm not going to counseling. Or you could take initiative and go home today and be like, hey, I reached out to Life Back. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna see a counselor first. Even if she is the issue in your mind, you take the initiative because initiative is imperative in the ministry of reconciliation. All right, let me move just for time. Then you gotta pray. Man, reconciliation must be bathed in prayer. And look, this is what Jacob did. Then Jacob prayed. And what did he pray in verse 11? Maybe his, maybe his, uh, his motives were selfish, but it was, I don't wanna die. Save me. Help me from the hand of my brother. But it's so important that you pray because watch this, and this is vital, don't miss this. Because some of you might be thinking, oh, this is so easy for you to talk about. You don't know how that conversation or that, you know, the time we get together is gonna go exactly. I don't, but I do know this. Reconciliation can be messy. It's hard. People are hurt. Emotions are high. Bitterness has, has set in. Distance has separated you. Well, what do I do then? It's the only thing I know to tell you to do. You better pray. The Bible says that the weapons that we fight with are not like the weapons of this world. So let me tell you how I wanna say it. Ladies and gentlemen, prayer works. Prayer works. Prayer not only changes us, but prayer changes things. And when you bathe the whole process of reconciliation in prayer, you are inviting God to, to soften the heart of you and to soften the heart of them so that when you finally are able to have that conversation or a plural conversations, the Holy Spirit's presence is there and you can feel the grace of God, the love of God, and the forgiveness of God all over that conversation. Come on. You got to bathe it in prayer. A couple more. Reconciliation demands humility. Look what Jacob did. 20 years. 20 years. You'd think he'd have a bow ready. Uh, you'd think he'd be in a, 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 a posture of defense and fighting. No, 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 no. He bows down. Okay, I'm about to prove to you in 10 seconds that it's been a long time since I've been in a fist fight. But you tell me which posture offers humility and reconciliation. Is it this? And this is what so many of us do. Any, any husbands and wives, anytime it's time to have that conversation, guard up. I'm, I'm ready, what do you wanna say? Anytime somebody just is hoping for, for restoration, you're, you're defending, because why? You don't want to be hurt again. So, so does this invite forgiveness and grace and mercy, or does this? I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I am so sorry. It's an obvious answer. 
Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Write this down if you want to, but put your fists down and bow down. They don't deserve that. And you don't deserve God's grace either, but he freely gave it to us. When Jesus was on the cross at Calvary, you know what Jesus said? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. Now that may not be true for every person that's hurt you, but for the majority of people, they don't even know what they really did to hurt you as deep as they hurt you. Can you offer forgiveness? I, you know what? I'm gonna humble myself. Sometimes, maybe this is just me, but when I, whenever I desire for a relationship to be reconciled, I have to take out just a big old knife and cut me a nice slice of humble pie and just eat it. Swallow my pride. Open my heart. And say, you know what? He said, she said, I'm done with it. I want my brother back. I want my spouse back. I want my kids back. I want my daughter back. I want my son back. I want my friend back. So I'll humble, I'll bow down. Here, here's the principle, and I just showed it to you, but humility puts us in a position for reconciliation to occur. One more thought here. Everybody good? One more. Reconciliation involves forgiveness. And this is the verse we read not too long ago, but Esau ran to meet Jacob, embraced him, threw his arms around him, gave him a hug, a kiss, and they wept. And, the, and this part here about reconciliation is the difference between just forgiveness and reconciliation. Because you can, you can forgive and move on, but if you desire reconciliation, it takes two people. Do you see that? So true reconciliation involves both parties coming together and offering one another forgiveness. All right, last verse, and then we'll transition. Uh, it's, it's verse 10 of Genesis 33. And watch what Jacob says about Esau. Don't miss it. He says this, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably. Ladies and gentlemen, you wanna know what the face of God looks like? You wanna know what God's face looks like? It looks like when two people that were at war with each other, ready to fight until death, reconcile their differences and hear these words, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We always close with two questions and I pray that today, that these really just kind of settle in your spirit. And like Jacob, there's a wrestling here. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart? And what's your next steps? Let me pray for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed real quick. And let me close with this as our campus pastors are moving and Pastor David, our executive pastor here. Let me remind you of this. Before you can reconcile with others, you have to reconcile with God. It starts with him. So if you're here today and you don't have peace with God, can you make peace with him? As a matter of fact, I'm gonna count to three if that's you. Pastor JC, I'm at war, but it's not with people. I'm at war with God and I need peace with him. I wanna make things right with him today. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. Maybe this is for the very first time or for some of you, you just kind of drifted. I'll count to three. If you wanna make peace with God, hand up and then hand down real quick. You ready? One, two, three. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for every hand that was lifted. 
And even for those who maybe they were nervous to lift their hand, for every heart that is open, may they invite you, Jesus, to be Lord. May they admit that they're a sinner, admit that they need your grace, admit that they need uh, to be saved, believe in their heart that you are Lord, confess their sin, commit their life to you. May you write their name in the Lamb Book of Life. And then quickly as I walk off the stage, Lord, may you protect every home. May you give peace to every home. And may you restore things that are broken. You are that kind of God and you are so good. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, five seconds. Give the Lord the best praise you've got. Come on.